If you're a voracious consumer of film and TV, you uh, could be in for a lean year. As you know, both uh, writers and actors are now on strike in Hollywood, halting all sorts of production in the pipeline. It's a major headache for the studios, but it's not the first time that a double strike has happened in Hollywood history. Way back in 1960, a bloke you may have heard of called Ronald Reagan was, uh, well, he was the head of the powerful Screen Actors Guild when the actors joined the writers in walking off the job. Now, Ronnie Reagan, of course, would become on, would go on to become one of the uh, great union busters in, uh, in the White House. But can we draw any parallels between today's Hollywood strike and the strikes from yesteryear? And why is the transformation of Ronald Reagan so fascinating? My guest is Dr. Prudence Flowers. Uh, Prudence is a senior lecturer in US history at Flinders, and she has a great interest in the Reagan era. Welcome, and uh, let's go back to the 1930s. Shock the listeners by revealing to them the delightful surprise that Ronnie was at one stage a proud Democrat and a New Deal liberal. Well, thanks so much for having me, and I hope your uh, listeners will enjoy our tour down uh, the kind of Reagan's ultimate histories, as it were. So Reagan came to Hollywood in 1937 as a 27-year-old man, and when he arrived in Hollywood, he was a New Deal Democrat, a New Deal Liberal. He was a very proud and open supporter of the then-President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was a Democrat who essentially institutes the social welfare state in the United States during the Great Depression. Uh, Reagan joins the union, the Screen Actors Guild, within a month of arriving in Hollywood. Um, He talks proudly about being a union man, getting his union card. And within only a few short years of being in Hollywood, he actually joins the board of directors of the Screen Actors Guild. How did he get get that gig at SEC? Well, he... His then wife, Jane Wyman, was already on the board of directors and she nominated him for a vacancy that occurred um, in sort of the early 1940s. So it's a little bit of, I guess you could say, nepotism. But he also had some fascinating backers. There's a, he was nominated by the great Gene Kelly and he would go on to serve two stints. Yes. So in 1947, when Reagan became president of SAG for the first time, he was actually nominated in absentia because there was a kind of crisis and several shock resignations, including the then um, Screen Actors Guild president. And Gene Kelly is the person who put forward Reagan's name and he kind of is decisively endorsed by everyone else on the board. And when we say he served two stints um, as the president of SAG, I, I think that can gloss over the meaning of that. Every year he was um, elected by quite large majorities uh, when he ran. And when he actually serves his second stint as president of SAG in 1959-1960, he is asked to return because the actors are getting ready to strike. So they have such high regard for him as a union leader that they seek him to come back and lead them during these kind of um, labour negotiations. We're more familiar with the next phase of Ronald Reagan because we're talking the McCarthy era and Mm. he was a vocal anti-communist and gave evidence. Yes. So during the very start of the second Red Scare, when the House of Un-American Activities Commission um, 
sort of investigates Hollywood for subversion, uh, we all kind of know that the the Hollywood 10, a group of directors and producers and writers, band together and make a kind of very powerful statement against the witch hunt that's going on in Hollywood. Well, Reagan was not one of those um, celebrities. Reagan, like Walt Disney, was a friendly witness for, um, the, for Congress and agreed that there were communist subversives in Hollywood um, and essentially agreed with much of what Congress was doing. And we also now know through declassification of documents that Reagan had was already acting as a confidential informant for the FBI about communism in Hollywood before he became president of SAG. And we should recall that Walt and Reagan, Disney and Reagan, both uh, blamed industrial unrest and mm. strikes on Hollywood's so-called subversive elements. I, I'd forgotten that he was a uh, an informant for the FBI. Yes, he was an informant even before he became president of SAG. And then once he was president of SAG, he um, essentially gave FBI agents carte blanche to look at actors' records when if they were suspected of subversive activity. So his time in the presidency, he's engaged in further collaboration with the FBI on this. Did he ever express regret later in life about what happened to uh, so many of his erstwhile colleagues? I'm thinking, of course, in principally, of the of the Valiant Ten. Uh, Reagan never really reflected um, in any particularly meaningful way on his anti-communism. I think it's fair to say he was always very proud of his staunch anti-communism, and if anything. He really doesn't change in his communist views, his anti-communist views in the following decades. So the rest of society becomes kind of more tempered and reflective. Uh, but Reagan remains a kind of hardcore anti-communist pretty much until the end of the 1980s when things do begin to soften. Now, Prudence, apart from uh, dobbing in commies, Reagan, Ronnie Reagan, as I remember we used to call him, did have a... Well, he had a win as union president, didn't he, on the issue of residuals for TV actors. Mm -hmm. So during his first stint um, as president of SAG, he was the first person to secure residual payments for TV actors, which was a sort of major victory because TV was a new industry, a new medium, and these actors were the first to receive residual payments for their when their work re-aired on television. After they win residual payments, uh, movie actors also want some of that pie. And, and it, it's not really greed. Um, movie attendance had been plummeting pretty much since TV emerges on the market. Movie attendance starts to, to really diminish. And movies themselves, including lots of classic movies, were starting to be rerun on TV. So The Wizard of Oz very famously airs on TV for the first time in, I think, 1957. And so for many actors, they want to know why they can't get residuals if their movies appear on television. So Ronnie ultimately won an agreement that residuals would be paid to actors for films produced from 1960 on. Yes, and this was a this was actually a fairly significant concession, even though it is a victory. So going into the strike, writers and actors were seeking uh, residual payments essentially for all movies that screened on TV. And 
there was an older generation of Hollywood stars who were very bitter about the fact that Reagan essentially traded away their movies for these future payments. So the payments benefit well, all we're sort looking of future at, stars. We're but, looking yeah. at golden age stars like uh, Mickey Rooney, Glenn Ford, Bob mm. Hope. Yes, and Mickey Rooney in the 1980s was very bitter uh, towards Reagan and he actually... Um, in 1981, he gathers together many Golden Age stars and they have a lawsuit, not against Reagan, but against SAG and against the movie studios trying to seek retroactive residuals for their for their movies. Um, and they failed in that attempt. So uh, and they, actors, their argument that, is that Reagan should have been tougher and held out longer. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that he gave, he essentially traded them away for these future deals and then also for this lump sum payment that Reagan secures for the union where he gets $2.65 million, which becomes the union's first sort of pension and health plan for members. But they feel that he could have got more money they feel that he could have got more money for the health fund and pension and that he could have tried to get residuals for these um, older, older stars, essentially. So in 1960, he steps down from the Actors' Union and within a few mm-hmm. years, he's on the campaign trail for uh, for Barry Goldwater, an extremely significant conservative Republican. This is, what, 1964. And so flash forward to 1980 and Reagan, the old Democrat, is in the White House as a Republican president. It's like the... Uh, the story of the of the caterpillar and the butterfly, except it's going backwards. Yes. <laughs> um, so Reagan, Reagan had become more conservative, explicitly conservative in his politics over the course of the 1950s. So he had really moved quite a lot to the right by the time he leads the second SAG strike. Um, he very famously makes a speech fundraising for Barry Goldwater in 1964. So Goldwater, you know, loses by a huge landslide and is seen as a lunatic by many Americans. But Reagan's star is suddenly on the horizon for the kind of national conservative movement. And he very rapidly transitions from being an actor and being a union man to being a conservative star on the rise. He becomes governor of California in 1967, where he serves two terms, and he instantly once he leaves the gubernatorial office, has his eyes on the White House. And he is a very hardline conservative throughout this period. He is, in many ways, more extreme in his politics than Barry Goldwater, but he's charismatic, he's good-looking, he's optimistic. He kind of can sell his views in a way that past conservatives had really been unable to. And so in 1980, he wins on this incredibly conservative ticket. Now, we should remind the listener that it was Lyndon Baines Johnson who defeated Goldwater in a landslide and then Reagan comes along and uh, wins in a landslide against Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm, yes. Um, and when, Ra- sorry, when Reagan wins in 1980, you know, you know most commentators at the time so, sort of said, look, it's not that the electorate is now incredibly conservative, it's that the electorate is sort of sick of Jimmy Carter and they blame him for you know, the Iranian hostage crisis, the oil crisis, you know, there's stagflation, they're blaming Carter for that. But Reagan ushers in this kind of seismic reorientation of the political landscape in the US. And he does this in his first months in office. Do you think, I know how fascinated you are with Reagan, and I share, I share much of your interest. You talked about his first wife in 
Jane Wyman. Do you think it was Nancy Reagan who played a significant part in pushing or persuading Ron to go right? No, I I actually think his his right shift is generally credited to this job he gets with the company called General Electric. Uh, at at the sort of start as, of the as their front really, man, their meter yeah, and as their front man. He gets a, a role where he, he is the public face of this TV program that they have, which makes like little mini telly movies every week. But he also has a role within the company where he goes to factories and talks to workers on behalf of the company. And he gets this when he's really quite a washed up actor. So he, he starts this role in 1954. And General Electric had this very unique company culture where they expected everyone above a certain pay level to read conservative publications, conservative magazines, to kind of they verse themselves in a very anti-government, anti-union, anti-communist um, kind of ideology. And Reagan talks about that as this kind of education um, he's actually fired from General Electric in the early 60s for becoming too political in his public presentation <laughs> itself, which is quite funny. Yeah, well, well, well. So let's now flash forward to 2023. What are the parallels between the uh, the double strike in Hollywood and the, uh, the 1960 strike? I mean, I think it is fascinating that the issue of residuals is essentially again at the forefront. In 1960, the, the big um, big studios essentially said, no, no, we can't pay you residuals. Don't be greedy. And you see exactly the same argument being made now, but around streaming services, around a huge array of kind of ways in which the people who create the content we enjoy are being robbed essentially of the fruits of their labour. Except I think things are uh, in some ways worse now because we have such a um, such an expectation, I guess, that businesses will boost these ever-growing, record-breaking kind of profit sheets. You kind of look at the balance sheets of a company like Disney now. They have such a kind of focus on always posting profits that this idea that they would scrape out even a little for the creatives is seems somehow anathema to the kind of corporate capitalism that now operates. So it's the same issue, but I think it's much more much greater division between management and worker now. There's a new issue, of course, and that is the yes. dread of artificial intelligence. Yes. And the, the dread of artificial intelligence, I think, is, of course, the great unknown. And I think the unions are right to try and fence off as much as they can the uses and exploitation of this, um, both in terms of replacing writers, but also in terms of the use of the images of actors. There are all these kind of territories in which... Um, corporate capitalism can exploit its working class here. Um, and to try and limit that as much as possible at this point, I think, is crucial for both of the writing and acting goods. I'm aware that you are able to speak directly with Ronald Reagan. You know, you were uh, in touch with him on the other side. What, of course. What would, what would he be thinking about this strike now? I think he would be firmly on the side of management, to be honest. <laughs> His, um, even in 1960, he had some murky relationships with uh, the people that he was negotiating with that he probably should not have been negotiating. The polite way of describing it is that he had a conflict of interest in 1960, which is partly perhaps why he was able to achieve what he did. He had a very serious long-term relationship 
um, with one of the people he was negotiating with in that that man had been his former agent. Um, And Reagan, unbeknownst to most people, was a producer as well as an actor. He really shouldn't have been involved in negotiations because he had a kind of vested interest. And I suspect he probably would still be on the side of of corporate capitalism capitalism at this point in time. Not only did he come a long way from being a an FDR supporter and a proud Democrat, but he came a long way for a B feature actor, didn't he? Because he, yes. his career on screen was, to say the least, mediocre. Yes, he. it was fairly mediocre. He had a few sort of high points probably in the early 40s um, where he had some roles that he was, you know, fairly well regarded for, but he's best remembered for kind of I guess, capers, like when he acts alongside a monkey uh, in a movie called A Bedtime for Bonzo, which everyone loves to refer to. And the joke, of course, was which one was the monkey and which one was Reagan, like who's Bonzo? On on that uh, interesting question, I must thank you for coming on, Prudence. No worries. The The good news from Dr Prudence Flowers, Prudence's senior lecturer in US history at Flinders. ABC Listen podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 